0: Welcome to the Discipleship Unplugged Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Middleton. I'm the teaching elder at North Geelong Presbyterian Church. This is Season 1 and Episode 1. Now, the expectation is that uh, we're going to produce uh, two podcasts a month, over 10 months, 20 podcasts a year, covering a variety of topics, but we're going to concentrate on being Reformed Evangelical and Missional, so we'll unpack what it is to be Reformed and Evangelical. We'll look at Scripture, Covenant, soteriology, that is, doctrine of how we are saved, but we'll also look at how we live and how we engage um, our culture with the gospel. But for today, this episode, we're going to be exploring the biblical doctrine of scripture because our understanding of scripture is foundational for what we believe, love, and worship. It's also fundamental for our Christian hope and our moral vision So let's define our terms. Now, as evangelicals, we believe the Bible is both inerrant and infallible. Now, inerrant means without error or contradiction in the original manuscripts. In other words, the Bible is completely accurate and without mistakes in all it teaches and affirms. But we also use another word to describe the Bible, and that's infallible. You see, Inerrancy means it's without error, but it's actually possible for human books of human origin to be free of error. But we're actually going to say more than that. What we're saying is infallible means that it's incapable of error or falsity. Now, inerrancy and infallibility, they're both really grounded in the doctrine of divine inspiration, which teaches that... While the Bible was written by human authors, that these authors were divinely inspired by God to write the words that they did. This means that the Bible is not just a human book. It's actually a divine book. So we describe the Bible as both inerrant, infallible, and inspired. And because of that, it's actually authoritative for the Christian's faith and life. So now that we've defined our terms, let's dig into the Bible a bit and let the Bible actually speak for itself. First, let's start with 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 to 16, those well-known verses where Paul is writing to Timothy to remind him how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now essentially, the text is really saying three things about itself. One, that the scriptures make you wise for salvation. Two, that the scriptures are breathed out by God and that the scriptures are actually at work in each of us as believers. So we're going to look at each one briefly. The Scriptures make you wise for salvation. Unsurprisingly then, Scripture points you to Jesus. Because as Peter says in Acts 4.12, there's no salvation in anyone else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. And see, if that's true, if salvation is only found in Jesus the Christ. The scripture must point us to him if we are to be saved. In John 5.46, Jesus said, Moses wrote of me. In John 8.56, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. That is, from the very beginning, scripture pointed us to Jesus for salvation. That's why in Luke 24, 27, on the road to Emmaus after Jesus was resurrected, he walked with the disciples and he showed them that from the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Because as Paul wrote in Colossians 2 and verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. See, If scriptures make us wise to salvation, and salvation is found only in Jesus, then it makes sense, doesn't it, that that every treasure of wisdom and knowledge is found in Jesus. That's why Jesus boldly rebuked the Pharisees in John 5, 39, saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that is scriptures to bear witness about me, the very one you're persecuting and rejecting. He's saying, if you read the scriptures correctly, it will bear witness to me, to Jesus. So, So that's the first thing the Bible says about itself, that it makes us, makes you, wise to salvation in Jesus. Now, the second thing it says about itself is that actually, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is God breathed, and uh, what it's saying uh, is that the author of Scripture is actually God, not men. Now, men wrote it: Moses, David, Isaiah, Malachi, Matthew, John, Peter, Paul. That is, there's 66 books in the Bible written over a period of perhaps you know 1500 years by men who were shepherds and kings and scholars and fishermen and prophets and priests. And you can imagine it is written from all these various places like palaces and prisons and and in the wilderness and during exile. And it's written in all these various styles. You have history, poetry, narrative, law, letters. And, and, And these men all different portions of scripture across cultures and generations in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek and yet remarkably the material is consistent it's unified and it is without contradiction and the Bible's explanation for that is though it is written by men, it is inspired by God, it is God breathes And since God is truth and all Scripture is breathed out by God, Scripture, therefore, must be true. It is true. Peter elaborates on that in 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, saying, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word behind that English word carried means to be driven. It's used in Acts 27.15 when when, uh, a ship is caught in a storm. And Paul wrote, the ship was caught and could not face the wind. We gave way to it and were driven along. You see, Peter wants us, wants you to understand that men spoke from God and they were driven by God's Holy Spirit to write his word. So that while we affirm men wrote Scripture, we also affirm that Scripture is truly God's Word. It's why in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, Paul commended the church at Thessalonica, saying that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you've accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work. In you believers. So if we're to believe what the Bible says about itself, then we would believe that the Bible is God breathed, and therefore it's the word of God. And, and if that is true, it is authoritative for us as believers. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which actually it, it sort of summarizes what Presbyterians believe the Bible teaches, it says that God himself persuades us of these truths, saying, the Spirit persuades and assures us the Bible is, and I quote, the infallible truth and authoritative. Why? Because it is given by inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. And so the Bible says, it makes us wise to salvation. It is breathes, but, but there's a third thing the Bible says about itself, that the Word of God is at work in us believers. It says the Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, the scripture's purpose is to form us, indeed, actually transform us. And as we read it, it rebukes our thoughts or actions. It corrects and trains us in a way of righteousness by graciously training us to think and act more like Jesus, renewing our minds, reordering our loves, recalibrating our hearts, and all of this is so that we as disciples of Jesus are equipped for every good work. Now, of course, we could appeal to external evidences like the undeniably cohesive and unified messes of Scripture, how themes and promises, how they, they run like these interwoven threads through 40 authors over 1,500 years. How all of this supports the conclusion of divine inspiration. And others perhaps will point to the historical and archaeological evidence that supports its accuracy, pointing to the discovery of the, the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947 and manuscripts of the Old Testament books, including Isaiah, confirming the accurate preservation of the Bible over centuries. And of course, there is the Bible's prophetic accuracy. That also supports the belief of inerrancy and infallibility, prophecies that have been fulfilled about Israel, about kings, most of all about the birth, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Prophecies made hundreds of years before they were fulfilled. They, they too, support the conclusion that the Bible is god breeds, reliable, and authoritative. And so we can see from Scripture itself what it claims for itself is that the Bible makes you wise for salvation, that the, the Scripture is breathed out by God And the scripture is at work in us believers. So what does that mean for us as believers? Well, it means that God's word is authoritative for us. Now, whenever we think of an issue, sexual, relational, cultural, political, indeed theological issues, where we start is always with scripture. The first question we should ask is, what does Scripture say? And again, notice the testimony of Scripture. When Paul is trying to explain the relationship between the law and the gospel in Galatians 4.30, he asks, but what does Scripture say? Because he assumes that the answer, because it comes from Scripture, will rebuke and correct and instruct as necessary. When he's explaining that we are saved by grace through faith in Romans 4 3, he says, For what does the scripture say? When Jesus taught on um, dealing with disputes, sexuality, marriage, and even eternal life, Jesus always quotes from the Bible. Eleven times the gospel record him saying, Have you not read? Thirty times he defended his teaching by saying, It is written because in his minds, Scripture is our authority because Scripture makes us wise to salvation. It is God-breathed, and it works in us. That's our starting point. It must always be our starting point. What does the Scripture say? So, for example, if we're on a culturally hot topic, for example, like same-sex attraction, we don't base our thinking on our experiences with our same-sex attractive friends. Of course they're nice. That's why they're our friends. We're not going to base it on what the government expects or teaches or even legislates for us. We're going to ask, what does Scripture say? Because what we want to know is what God thinks Because God knows how humans flourish. He knows what's good. He knows what's right. And he is our authority. Like Calvin said, without the spectacles of Scripture, no one sees right. So that's our starting point. That's the first question in all of our thinking and formation. What does the Scripture say? Here's another application. Your view on the authority and trustworthy of the Bible. It also affects your confidence in God's promises. Like, if you really wanted a piece of classic British four-wheel driving history, and you had always wanted, always hoped that perhaps one day you might be blessed enough that you could own a 1960 series 2 Land Rover say like mine and that, let's just say to you that you met my son and my son Malachi what is he 14 15 and, and he and he says hey i heard you really are into classic british four driving history that you you always hoped as the apex of 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 um, automotive excellence, you could own a 1960s Series 2 Land Rover. Why don't you take my dad's because he's got two of them. Does my son really have authority to give away one of my 1960s Land Rovers? I'd be surprised if you got excited by that offer because my son has no authority to give away my vehicles. But unlike my son, God's word does have authority, and it is trustworthy. And that should feed and and strengthen your hope. You know, when life gets hard and families are fractured and relationships are disappointing... When you know circumstances tend to overwhelm and you know you're all out of your human resources, and there's still the sin that 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 entangles and defeats us your view of God's word, of God's promises, they become the very anchor of your soul. And that will fuel your steadfastness, your perseverance, your courage to stand firm because they're all rooted in hope. And hope is built on the confidence that you have in God's word. And so as in our mind, we clarify our thinking as evangelicals, we believe the Bible is inerrant, free of error, without error. But more than that, it is infallible. It is incapable of error or falsity. Why? Because it is God breathes. And therefore, it is authoritative for us. And so therefore, when Scripture makes us wise to salvation so that we come to a knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's also at work in us, not just for salvation, but for formation, for transformation. And so whenever we we think about how we should live, we start with, what does Scripture say? And, and 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 that informs our thinking about all things. And it also encourages us because life is hard in a fallen and broken world. And so it gives us courage because of hope. Because I know God's word is true. I know his promises are true. I can build my life on Jesus Christ and His Word. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh next episode we'll be looking at the uh hermeneutic in which we understand scripture called Covenant. And until then, uh, grace and blessings to you. Goodbye.